Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You start the fire. We are back with another episode of The Measurables with War Air, powered by Revolt, directed by my brother Cali Vision. It's hard for me to contain my excitement. I'm going to let it loose. My brother is here. <laughs> he is here. Finally. A lot of you who are in the culture know this man. He needs zero introduction. But I'm going to still give him this Steve Harvey introduction. <laughs> this brother has a brand called Union, a store called Union. Beautiful wife, two amazing kids. He is incredibly incredibly important to the culture, incredibly important to Los Angeles, the fashion landscape as a whole. I'm talking about none other than Christopher Gibbs. Wow. I'm blushing. My brother. <laughs> listen, man, it's been a long time. I know we've tried to, we've had, listen, we've done a dance. Bro, listen, as soon as Colin, who is, who was a big wig here at, 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 at revolt was like, do you want to do a podcast? I was like, yes, I do. You were the first wow. person that I wanted to get on because of what you just, brother, I'm telling you, <laughs> for, for, for designers. And, 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 and keep in mind, you, are, you have a very refined palette, but it's very casual, but you have such a unique style that is all your own, and it makes sense. For a guy like me who is doing suits, like I was like, it's only so long that I could do this because you know when you're single time is yours right yeah <laughs> you get married you have kids time becomes less of yours so <laughs> you need to have some type of ready to wear component yeah and when i was thinking about ready to wear places i was like yo it's only there there were a handful of places where i wanted to be in la like fred Siegel was one but like union was the place where i was like i've got to get there so like when i first <laughs> met you like very <laughs> Man, we got a long interview, man. Yeah. Okay. I'm here. I'm here okay, 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 okay. So we're going to get back to, 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 to the praise, but I ask every single guest that comes the same question. Uh-oh. How are you? How's your mental? That's how we're going to start. I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. My mental is a little uh, fragile these days, to be honest. Why? Um, I think um, a lot of things are kind of overlapping with each other right now uh i was talking to a really good friend today um times are a little weird real they're Uh, real i think post covid there's some kind of residue remaining that i'm still navigating uh to be honest um we have good problems but problems nonetheless we grew immensely in the last three to four years right and so we have 
really, really crazy painful growing pains that we're managing wow. as a business right now. Um, and it's a privilege and an honor to be growing right. in these pains. Is There's a different kind of pain I'm glad I don't have, but those, these still hurt too. Right. And I'm trying to figure those out. Um, I think, you know, for the longest time, I'm Gen X. Mm-hmm. And so for the longest time, I always positioned myself and my generation like there's the old world. Mm. And there's the new world, and we are the bridge. Correct. Right? There's Correct. digi, there's analog, analog, and I could do both. I could right. set the time on the VCR. Right, right, I right. I still have vinyl. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know how to use a, you know what I mean? Right. My iPhone. Right. Um, and so I always considered us the bridge, and it's come to, I'm I'm starting to try and understand that, like, as um, kind of, the generations evolve, it's moving faster. So fast. I always so thought fast. we were the bridge, like the bridge. You're one of the bridges now. Now I'm I'm a bridge and I'm kind of old. And whatever I thought was like kind of this bridge between analog and digi, nah. And it's happening really fast. Mm. I don't know that I'm sure there are smarter people than me that understand this, but like the generation loop that, you know, and my understanding of it is now happening really fast. Wow. Like, gen- millennials are almost old now. Yeah. And they are. I, I mean, it wasn't, but yesterday I was bagging on them for their youth. And their and they're, they're, now it's like Gen Z is like, we're here. And I'll say this, um, Gen Z is different. And it's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. Mm. It just is. They are different. And as a person such as myself who has a company that has to communicate with the youth yeah. and understand the youth to a certain degree. Right. Um, that's a challenge for me um, that I'm struggling with. Um, so, you know, uh, I suppose I'm, I'm here for it and I'm giving it my best, but it's, it's, it's tough. It's right trying. Now. So yeah. hold on. So hold on. Wait, wait, wait. So you and I always have these conversations yeah. and like, and, and like they're very current. Yeah. But I want you for like, for people who are like, you know, seeing this for the first time, they're like, who's, you know, who's he? Chris Gibbs, can you take us back to Ottawa? Oh, wow. You want to go back that far? <laughs> I, I want to go back, but then I want to speed to the front. Okay. Okay, uh, so so tell me about ahead. your upbringing in relation to fashion. Okay. Um, my upbringing in relation to fashion was very indirect, I would say. Um, I grew up not at all really being into fashion. Is um, that right? Yep. I, we were, I mean, were you into, like, sports, hockey, I was a, basketball? I was, I was I was two things. So I'm mixed. I'm half black, half white. Mm-hmm. And I literally have two lobes of right. existence to this right. day. Yeah. I have my white side and what my white side likes to do. And I have my yeah. black side. And they are plural. So they mix sometimes. Do they coexist, they coexist seamlessly? I think they do. Okay. That's all that matters. That's you, all that matters. If you ask my wife, she okay, yeah, yeah. have a different answer. <laughs> but I right. think they do. Okay. Uh, and so... My white side is in Ottawa at like 12 or 13, listening to the Dead Kennedys and a skater wow. and the Cure wow. and the yeah. Smiths and, yeah. and loving that. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And my black side is also in Ottawa playing basketball, listening to Public Enemy and, wow. you know, and, wow. and Tribe Called Quest. And the, and the two lived you know, harmoniously together. Ebony no and problem. Ivory. Yep, for sure. But they both had their own, you know, uh, one step, two step, when one's leading and the other's it's following, following. And so, on, so, so on and so forth. So do you come from a family of entrepreneurs? 
Because that's what you are. No. Okay. But my dad is his spirit animal is a is an entrepreneur. His spirit animal. That. My dad's from Barbados, so mm-hmm. he and he immigrated to Canada, um, you know, uh, right before me. So I'm first generation Canadian. Yeah. At least from my dad's side of things. Right. Right. Um, and my mother's Canadian, and it goes back as far as you want. My mom, my dad is black as black as it gets. Yeah. Dark black. Yeah. My mom's redhead with freckles. Archie. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. Wow. So, so yeah. that being said, in reference to Canada, because yeah. it, it it serves as such a unique place in your yeah. heart, because that's where you're from. Yeah. How did Canada influence your identity and creativity? So I think, and this is going to maybe be a little bit uh, self-centered or, or something, but I think Canada holds a special place because it's so close to America, mm-hmm. the epicenter of pop culture, wow. um, that wow. you can touch it, taste it, feel it. It's right there. Wow. But you have to exert energy to get to it. Yeah. It's not or at least when I was growing up, it wasn't. I think things are different now. It wasn't like right there. It wasn't right there. You had to exert a little energy. Get in the car. Go you there. To, and you had to look at it. And you had to be like, you know, it's it's in the distance. You could see it. You <laughs> right, know what I mean? Right. Now, I was also blessed. My father immigrated from Barbados, as I, as I mentioned. He was the youngest of 10 and the <sighs> only one to go to Canada. Wow. Everyone else left Barbados. And they all, and I'll say most of them landed in Brooklyn. As wow. most Bajans do. Right? Bro, that's and like so, a rites of passage. Yeah, no doubt. And my dad went to Canada and not even go to, do not go to Brooklyn. He didn't even go to Toronto. He no. went to Ottawa. Yeah, he didn't when go to I, Vancouver. Yeah, when I tell other Canadians I'm from Ottawa, they like, they have a look of disgust. Why? It's not because it's like, I don't know how to explain it, man. <laughs> Are you I serious? Like, yeah, it's like. So is it, so is it like, so, so, so there's a beef between. People from Baltimore, people from DC. Yeah, they just like it, 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 there's, there's but no it's a healthy beef. beef. Is it the same feels, with Canadians? There's no beef. They feel sorry for me. You're Why? from what's in Ottawa? What you know? Hold on, hold on, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> So this is so so, Ottawa, so, so, so so this is why I love the <laughs> I, I, I I love this line of questioning. Yeah. My next question to you is: What is the vibe of Ottawa? Okay. How like how are people getting live in Ottawa? So I just have to preface. The answer with my answer is thirty years old. Okay, I left Ottawa at seventeen and never looked back. Wow, and I'm forty eight now. So wow, seventeen. Yeah. Yep. So are you saying that Ottawa has no vibe? No, it has a. It, pro- it probably has a vibe now. No, I'm talking about when, when you I were there. Up, I'll say this: when something happens to your kitchen, you might say this is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. When I was 17, well, 15, Mm -hmm. through, let's say, 28 i probably once a day would ask myself <laughs> i'm asking myself why did my dad move to ottawa are you and serious not Brooklyn, right are you serious? and then wow. at 28 it dawned on me it was the best thing that could have ever happened delve delve why um again as i was saying like being i got to experience it my my cousins and my aunts and uncles all lived there i spent 
if I wasn't in Barbados for the summer, I was in Brooklyn. I went to I went to Pratt Summer School as like oh, a wow. ten year old, yeah. right? Because yeah. wow. I'm staying in staying in Clinton right. Hill, staying in Brooklyn yeah. with my family. Yeah. So I would like you know my dad would go down for Easter, Christmas, summer. If there was a an extended you know holiday three day weekend, we would drive down. It's a seven hour drive from where we're at. Wow. And my dad liked to drive. Yeah. So we would go down there. So I got to touch it for real, for real. Absolutely. I would go down there. I would go down there. I would buy like a 10-pack of 120-minute tapes and a radio, and I would sit by the radio and record every show. So you're, so you're recording uh, uh, Red, uh, Alert, Red Alert, Funk, Funk Master, Master Flex, Flex. Uh, Chuck Chill wow. Out. I'm a little older. So Chuck, Chuck Chill Out. out. Yeah. Um, <sighs> yeah. And bring them back and sell them at my high school. Oh, you would sell them? <laughs> yeah, I would sell the tapes. Oh, so, so that's the entrepreneurial <laughs> yeah, spirit. Yeah, so, yeah. so your father, what line of work was he in? What line of work was your mother I, in? My my father was in broadcasting. My father, so you know uh, CNET. Yes. So the first version of CNET, Canada did that, oh, taping wow. their government and showing it on a channel. Yeah. So that everybody has access, uh, demo, yeah. democratic access. Sounds like right. a very right. Canadian thing to do. Yeah. And so uh, Canada was kind of the test grounds for that. My dad's team eventually taught the Americans and how to do it for CNET. Uh, uh, so. He wow. was a broadcaster for the parliament. Wow. So. And my mother uh, was a nurse. Yes. Uh, my parents split up when I came into existence. So. Okay. They were never together. Got it. Got or it. Or not. Got well, not while I was around. Got it. Got I it. I call myself the apex only child. Well. <laughs> I broke my folks up. They both remarried. They both wow. remarried people who had didn't have children of their own. And they never had children with these people. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. You know what? I was talking to a client of mine and, and a friend. He said, you know, a lot of people are in marriages that aren't necessarily healthy for the children. Mm. But he said, two healthy homes is better than one unhappy home. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, and, and I have a lot of respect and appreciation for my folks. Yeah. They co-parented like a motherfucker. Yeah. Uh, they had a deal that they would have to live within five block radius of each other. That is amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Made it work. My dad was the disciplinarian. And so whenever I was in trouble, I was Yeah, mom's was like, hey. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Because you know you're about to get tuned up, <laughs> no bro. Doubt, yeah. No doubt. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyhow, you asked me about Canada. Um, so I, and I've talked to other Canadians who don't have this experience, which has made me wonder. But I feel like I grew up in a, I grew up in like downtown Ottawa and it was really multicultural. Um, I went to school with a lot of different ethnicities. Ottawa is the capital of Canada. So mm -hmm. by default, you've got people from all the different embassies coming. Yeah. Ottawa and Canada in general. And I, this is an overgeneralized statement, but not really. Canada, like when America goes to war somewhere, mm -hmm. Canada takes the refugees. Wow. So think of, you wow. know, I grew up, I was born in yeah. 74. Mm -hmm. So I grew up with mad Vietnamese kids. I grew up with mad kids from Rwanda, like Ethiopian whatever, kids, Ethiopian, like Somalians, like wherever y'all, Where, not y'all, wherever y'all beefing at, we got the, you know, the people so, coming here. Yeah. And it, so a lot of people know you from the fashion part of your yeah. life. So my question to you is, you know, before we get to Brooklyn, Los Angeles, Nike, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like what brands were you a fan of growing up? Uh, or, 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 or was fashion not even in your, like, even in your view then? It, it really, like, I would say kind of two answers. Not really. 
But like, uh, you know, I would say middle school is usually when most kids, at least from my generation, got to express themselves. Right. And so that's when I started to dress. I was a Dickies, Converse, and wow. And I'll say this, and I was I had the privilege, and I used to wear these polo plaid button-down shirts. Yeah, button-ups. Yeah, button-ups. That was wow. my thing. And so, and, and so how did that, the, like those brands shape yeah. your identity? I mean, to this day, I love Dickies. Uh, yeah. To this day, you know, I, I love Converse. Um, Polo, I kind of lost the taste for a little bit, but still appreciate what it is, but I kind of love mm-hmm. the taste for that. But I'm still much, I'm still very much a product of my high school and junior high school self later on in high school is when I would have been able to get into Nike and Jordans. Right. And so, uh, and I would again, go to New York and bring it back. Right. You know, cause we didn't have the good shit in in Canada. Definitely. So that, so there was no footlocker, like there, there was no place where you could go to get like the Jordans or the Clydes or the Ralph Sam. No, not really. And not in Ottawa might've existed in Toronto wow. or Montreal or Vancouver. Not in Ottawa, so it was it was a special thing for me to go and bring stuff back. And so, I'm explaining that to answer your question, which is that hunt, right? Forged a hunger, right? Forged a like, you know, if because I had to hunt because right. it was there, I could see it, I could yeah. touch it, but it took an extra energy. Right. It required a a, a hunger a. a I don't know this like a this, thirst, this, uh, yeah, appetite, yeah, for this thing because it didn't come so easily, right? You know what I mean, so you're bouncing around from Brooklyn to Barbados to Ottawa, like what? What TV shows? What movies? <laughs> what music was playing in all of these places? So in Canada, when I grew up, there were like five channels. <laughs> Five. Yeah, we didn't have a lot. I remember when I'd go to Brooklyn and my cousins would be watching HBO or or Fox. Fox yo, didn't exist when I grew up. Yo, your cousins was up. They were chilling. <laughs> well, my old my my oldest cousin um, from this group because there are some others that I don't know bought me my first hip hop record. Right? And what was that? Uh, more, more rhymes than the train has tracks. What is able, that? Able to uh, leap, suck MCs in a single bound. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's soup. Soup, super rhymes. <laughs> wow, are you serious? Yeah, yeah. come on, yeah, man. Yeah. So uh, she put me on. She went to LaGuardia too. But my question, so, <laughs> so what are the other? What, like, what were the like? What were the TV shows you were watching? What was the? So because you because because you're in this ecosystem, Chris, of all of these different yeah. ethnicities. Yeah, yeah. Like it's 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 in essence a true mixing pot. Yeah. Uh, so, so for example, you know, uh, you're familiar with like kind of the green slime on Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. Well, the show that birthed that was called "You Can't Do That on Television." I saw a documentary about okay. this. That's filmed in yes. Ottawa. Yes, That's from Ottawa. I wow. went to school with Nick. I don't know if you remember Nick. Oh my goodness! You know I mean? Yes, me and Nick went to school yes. together. You know, uh, so that Degrassi was on like the original Degrassi not the Drake Degrassi but right. the first gen Degrassi whatever you call it was on um obviously you know we got american channels so or we got like syndicated american tv so we got you know the Cosby show and stuff like that and 
Yeah. You know, all that stuff. But uh, Fox, I wasn't getting Fox. You weren't getting uh, Living Color. It was not. That was like when I got to go to New York to see that. Bro, you was, was like. mind-blowing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> later on, like later into high school, we started to get those shows. Uh, but early on, I wasn't seeing a lot of. And so um, much music would have been like, uh, that's our version of MTV. Yeah. You know? It was um, called Much Music. Much Music. Okay. And were they showing hip-hop, or was it like all like Take On so, Me and Tears for Fears? Interestingly, and this happened both on the TV parallel, like videos, as well as radio. Okay. If you think about how like hip-hop back then, that would have been an independent form of music. Absolutely. popular. Absolutely. So where are you going to get independent music when you're not in these places? You're getting it through college radio. Correct. Right? And yes. so there was a half an hour college radio show. Half an hour. That's that like two songs. That would play hip-hop. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's, and I, you know, I think it was like every Sunday night I'd, you know, listen. And full transparency, it was usually a much more watered down version of what was on my tapes. Got but, it. hey, I'll take whatever. But you I was happy get. to get that yeah. vibration. Yeah. So, 88, I'm at Elliott Middle School. Okay. Graduating, about to go to John Muir. There was a radio station called K-Day, and it, yeah. was, it was on AM dial. Okay. And on Sundays, like, they played all church. Not gospel, church. God, okay, I get okay? you. Yeah. But during the week sometimes, like, Friday night, they had the Greg attack. Mm. Greg Mac Mac attack. <laughs> oh, wow. And, like, it, it, so it wasn't on FM, so the, so, so the, um, the vibration, the frequency wasn't strong. Yeah, yeah. So even when they be playing the jam, sometimes <laughs> the, the, the Latin channel would bleed in. <laughs> So so I'm 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 giving you that example to ask you like was was the vibe strong in terms of the uh, much what, 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 much music much like music our version of MTV yeah. what, what was it like everybody in Ottawa was like hey yo did you see that new yeah. Chuck chill out my A likes were I had my little crew of and we were interested in this kind of stuff right we were aspiring DJs you know what I mean yes we would we had our little you know, Technique 1200s, and yeah. uh, I would buy vinyl in New York and bring it back, or we would go to Toronto and buy vinyl at Toronto, play the record was, was the spot we'd go to in Toronto to get records. Yeah. Um, we would DJ our high school dances and stuff like that. So you was up out in Ottawa, bro. We were trying. We were trying to make it happen. All right, so so how does the black American experience differ from your experience growing up in Ottawa? Wow. Uh, that's something that I, like, think about a lot. Uh, first and foremost, and I don't, mean to uh put up barriers it's just they're different you know yeah. i'll give you a really funny story that kind of answers that mm -hmm. but i'm west indian mm -hmm. i'm west indian from a very strict father yes so my black side is not american it's west indian got it right and so mm -hmm. my culture and the things i know coming from my black side is going to be a lot more west indian yeah it leaps because i didn't US. grow up in america mm -hmm. there are american things i just didn't get Right. So not too long ago, not to name drop, it wasn't that long ago, Beth and I are at Jay and Bay's Halloween party. Okay. Having a good old time, dancing, doing our thing, and Cameo comes on. Back and forth? Uh, you will know. I'm not sure. Okay. You will know okay. when I tell you the rest of the story. <laughs> There's a dance that y'all do. Oh, bro. Yeah, yeah. Electric slide. No doubt. <laughs> and the whole party went into the electric slide. And we were like jamming in the middle right, of the dance right. floor and i was like i ain't never done electric slide i don't know and i had to like slink out of the dance floor because like i didn't and i'm embarrassed but like the, oh my god you know if it was like you know 
Calypso was like 10 right. cent, 10 cent, dollar, dollar. Yeah. I would have been chilling. You were all in there. But Got I grew it. up not in America, so I didn't grow up with the electro side. I would have. I grew up with the West Indian version of Got whatever it. that is. Wow. And so there are little subtle differences like that. The other thing I will say is, and this is, I hope it's not controversial, uh, and I mean mm. this in a respectful way. Um, I think one of the things that, like, I, I guess I would say black people, African-Americans, we struggle with is identity, mm. right? We, our people were stolen. We don't know where. We can't necessarily trace it. Right. And so we, and that's a gap in, in, in our identity right. that we don't have. This is a construct, what I'm about to share, mm. but it kind of works. West Indians aren't any different. Wow. But we have our islands as some form of identity. So you are different because you have that. Right. Because you can trace it back. But it's a construct. It's just it's not back any further than an African American who happened to go and land in, in Alabama. You know what I mean? But because they're, you know, especially Barbados, it's a black country. It's we have a black prime minister. You know what I mean? There's a different culture that's different than America. Right. There's I don't know. I like somebody smarter than me will be able to say, is that real or fake? I don't mm. know. But it's it's sometimes rea- like perception and reality, it doesn't matter. Wow. And so through wow. that I had an identity that I could call my own, a place that I could call home. That's important. A culture that I could kind of that you can hug, grasp. Yeah. Uh in West Indian and, and Barbadian and Caribbean culture. And so I think that you know, I remember reading uh, Man, Child, in the Promised Land. And, and, That's a great book. And, he, and in that book, he talks about, like, how all the West Indians came mm-hmm. up and bought land. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Bought yeah. apartments up in Harlem. Like, they— Yes. Enterprising minds. They, That's where they came they from. they had the confidence—it's kind of like what you said about Paris before we got on. You know, they had the confidence to know to do that. Correct. That, like, maybe some African-Americans didn't, even though they had that access mm. physically, tangibly, mm-hmm. mentally, it wasn't quite there. And so I wonder about that sometimes. Again, I don't know, well, you know. Well, I, 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 I want to share something with you. There are many, many, uh, like, points in history where you have black people galvanizing themselves, forming a settlement, and that settlement becoming extremely, extremely lucrative. Mm-hmm. And the people to the town to the left don't like that prosperity and they burn it down. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So Bowley, black Mm -hmm. wall street, all this, like, you know, we, 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 we free you, but after you're free, it's like, it's figured out. Yeah. Oh, they're actually, they're they're actually figuring it out. Oh, they're actually erecting buildings. Oh, they're actually dentists. Oh, okay. Somebody got raped in that town. Burn it down. Yeah. Yeah. So when you talk about the confidence that some African-Americans lack, it's the resources because it was strategically done. Like, have you ever heard of Brewster's Beach? Yes, I have. Like, that's that that blueprint was cut and pasted throughout America. Right. Yeah. So and I understand that, and I and I when I often talk to people, you know, who were you know as when you're trying to figure this whole shit out, you're yeah. like, yeah, why, why can't we be like the Koreans who seem to bond together and support each other? And it's like there's no counter. Correct. You know. There's yeah. no one trying to stop them. There's right. no whole system trying to stop Literally them. Literally, entire system here. But for us. so I do appreciate and understand that. Um, and so I'll say this: I had the privilege of not necessarily having that same chokehold through West Indian culture. That's fantastic. Um, Canada's not perfect, but um, I definitely had a very wholesome and honest upbringing, um, and it 
gave me uh, agency that I still lean on to this day of just, you know, um, that I can't really explain. But like I said, being so close to the thing, you know, the epicenter of all the things I love. Right. Having to work to go get it. Having yeah. to like really appreciate it. Like, all right, I, I was there for the summer. I'm not going back till Christmas. So I got right. this tape. Right. I'm not going to hear the next new right. three months of songs. You I'm know? not going to hear the next Kane when it come out. So this is it. It became precious, you know. And so I think if you dot, dot, dot and fast forward, my appreciation for and my take on fashion is through that lens of this precious thing that like, you know, um, there's a term we excuse me, would often use uh, because uh, when we talked about like the Japanese customers coming into the store, they're study masters. Like I mm-hmm. studied this stuff, mm-hmm. not because I wanted to, mm. I had to, mm. it wasn't, I wasn't getting it. It wasn't like I was like into it and studied it. And I had to just to get a little bit, if that made wow, any sense. That makes, you know? that, that's crystal clear. So, crystal clear. Um, I think, I'd like to think that my take on fashion and, and whatever, you know, however that's different to others comes through that lens. Well, your your tone of conversation fits my roadmap of questioning perfect. I Prior to landing in New York, where did you attend university? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I almost wonder if you know the answer to this. So I grew up in Ottawa, yes. Canada. yes. I did grow up in a multicultural place, but it was still predominantly very white, mm. very white culture. And around the time of graduating high school, I really wanted to know Identity. and understand my black side. Absolutely. And so I damn near almost just spun the globe and pointed. Oh, you did a Simeon Akeem coming to America. And Heads in New York, tells Los Angeles. Except for Tales was Grambling State University. Wow, sir. Yep. I got on a bus from Ottawa, from Ottawa, Canada, to Louisiana, Eastern, the the hamlet of Grambling in northeastern Louisiana, and I did a one year bid there. <laughs> yeah, they, they called me Dirty White Boy. Are you sick? Si- <laughs> yeah. So, and that was I think that was a term of endearment. So, so what was the um, what were the things that led you to say, you know what, one year is enough? And do you um, and, and and do you at, at, at any time you know seeing how things turned out for yeah. you say you know what I wish I would have stayed four years because definitely not <laughs> okay 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 so all right but I'm glad I went you all right, so. I went because this is gonna sound crazy it sounds crazy every time I think about it mm-hmm. but at 17 the only place I had been to in America was New York right so I thought America was New York. It sounds stupid and no, no, no. dumb because I am. Why would you I think guess. anything else? Because and so I thought you I was going to a historically black college. I thought I was going to Hillman. Yeah. You know, yeah. as far as I was concerned, yeah. Rambling was Atlanta, was New York. Yeah. I thought that's where I was going. And you got there and you got the harsh reality that of was, realness. Yeah, yeah. And so there are many things that I learned and didn't experience there that I very much appreciate. Hey there. Ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. 
It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. But early on, I realized this wasn't for me. Unfortunately, what I would say, and it wasn't to like some crazy detrimental way, but just in a very general water flowing over my body, I experienced every negative stereotype of the South I could. Wow. While I was down there and I was like, oh, this ain't really for me. This is real. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. This is yeah, yeah, real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't want to be down here. This is also not what I thought it was. So beyond the negative stereotypes of the South, I'm just this cool. just wasn't New York. It wasn't the it wasn't the, the vibe. It wasn't the thing that I wanted it to be. Um, it was culture shock for sure. Not only like someone coming from Jersey would have been culture shocked there. I'm coming from another country. Right. Right. And you know, maybe unlike Drake, whose dad's from Memphis, my dad's West Indian. So this is really, it was very different. It's very, very different. All right, so you're out of Louisiana. Yes. You land, and it's very interesting that I keep on referencing coming to America, (laughs) but, like, you land in Brooklyn. I land in Brooklyn. You land in Brooklyn, bro. I land in Fort Green, Brooklyn. Okay, okay. At a time when it wasn't the Fort Green of today, Brooklyn was still... Like Biggie for Smalls. the most part, yeah, the outer boroughs. Yeah, um, I was blessed. My aunt lived in Fort Greene. Mm-hmm. I had a free place to stay. Say I word. Ch- I had to shout do- out to family. Shout out to Auntie Vaughn. Shout Thank shout you. out Auntie. <laughs> shout out. Yeah, uh, which was great and a blessing. Um, I had to do a very quick transfer out of Grambling State University, and so I knew I wanted to get into CUNY City University in New mm-hmm. York. Uh, but I couldn't, and I knew I wanted to go to the school called Baruch, which is where I eventually went and graduated. Wow. But I had to take a little pit stop at Medgar Evers. Wow. So I went to Medgar Evers for a semester, which is part of CUNY yeah. and in Brooklyn. Um, wow. So, yeah. And I didn't know nobody. Um, and f- coincidentally, my roommate in Grambling was from Long Island. Wow. And he put me in touch with his best friend growing up. I got up here. I called the dude. I was like, yo, Vance told me to give you a call. He was like, yo, we're going out tonight. Bet, come up. And he lived up in the Bronx. He was like, come meet me. We're going out. He didn't realize. He thought he was talking to another black dude. <laughs> you know? I mean, you are a black dude. I know, but, you know. <laughs> but you're a different black dude. Yeah. And so I don't think he realized. So he's like, come out. We're going out. We're going to Bentley's. Okay. Anybody listening to this knows about Bentley's. That, you know what I mean? Uh, so Bentley's was the club that they would talk about on the radio. Got it. In 1994. Got know? it. And so uh, I'm like, bet, let's go. I put on my jeans and my sneakers and my, you yeah. know, yeah. and my T-shirt because that was what that was the moment. You asked about whether I was into fashion. Like, that's what I was into. You know right. what I mean? Like, right. very simple. Rolled up to the Bronx, knocked on the dude's door. Uh, his name is Black. And he opened the door. He's like, what the fuck are you wearing? <laughs> Didn't I tell you we're going out? <laughs> So he lent me a multiple <laughs> dragon, I'll never forget, a multiple dragon print Tommy Hilfiger button-up shirt. Okay. With like the dragon, the Tommy Hilfiger dragon, like, 
like you know i never uh, knew tommy hilfiger had a dragon there was a dragon as part of their thing i think okay uh a like butter like a butter colored butter soft leather oh like a uh Averex? no but like the i I, like you would get it on 34th Street. Okay, like got you, you, got you, got you. Any got you. color in the rainbow. Yes, sir. Like a little bomber kind yeah, of yeah, thing, yeah. right? Mine was like butter soft, butter colored, uh, a pair of khakis, and some polo boots is what he lent me. So, so, so pretty much you de-robe at his <laughs> yes, house. Yes. And then so, so it's like it's like the before and after. Yeah. Christopher Gibbs. Yeah, yeah. You come out. Okay. You all go out. Yeah, we go to Bentley's. You go to Bentley's. Do you frequent Bentley's from that time? Or are you like, you know what, that's enough? I think that was enough. the first and last. I think we ended up, like, uh, finding a different, you know, that we realized that wasn't really our vibe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, we ended up finding more kind of, like, you know, uh, independent clubs and stuff like that. But that guy became my Your ace. ace yeah. uh, so, to this day, man. So y'all y'all, that, y'all are still yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. So how do you how do you land at Supreme? How does that ha- like? How does that happen? Because we're talking question. about Louisiana, yeah, to Brooklyn, to the, the Bronx, yeah. Bentleys, to like. Yeah. Okay, you were there when it literally formed. Very early on, maybe not when it formed, but very early on. Yeah. So, um, by let's call it '96, um, I've got my sea legs in New York. I'm living in Brooklyn, still living in Fort Greene, going to school uh, in the city, mm-hmm. and the job I got was um at um a very commercial like kind of a um outdoor sports like action sports store called Blades. Okay. They had like nine locations all in the city. Oh wow. That's where you would go to get rollerblades and in 96 rollerblades was, was the shit. the thing. Yeah. Or a skateboard or a snowboard. Wow. Like any action sports is what they sold there. Um and it was very commercial, not at all cool. But mm-hmm. it's a job. It's a job. I get free skate eat. gear. I can go skating with all the fellas after after work, um, yeah. and I was super happy. And um, I meet this girl. Her name's Elizabeth Burkett. <laughs> She's wow. now my wife, so at 96. Wow. Wow. And we start dating, and, um, you know, most girls, they want to, like, fix their dude. You know what I mean? Always. Like, she's, like, she's like, so she's like, yo, you're a skater. You're, you know, like, why are you here at this really, it'd be like working at PacSun. Versus union. Right. 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 Like that kind of vibe. Right. Why are you here? And I'm right. like, this is all I know. And she's like, yo, um, at the time she worked at Supreme. Wow. Um, and she worked for James Jebbia. And so she was like, yo, well, I can get you a job here. And I, and, and I was so ignorant. I didn't even know what Supreme was. Wow. I was like, what is this? And she starts trying to show me. And the thing she showed me, my virgin eyes saw like models skateboarding. Yeah. I was like, oh, these guys are posers. I don't I don't want to be there. You know hmm. what I mean? Wow. Um, but we would go out and I'm used to going to like dive bars, getting a three dollar beer, and yeah. there's a pool table in the back. Turning all and, the way up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I start dating her and we're going to like the best clubs in New York. And we're not standing in line. We're walking past the line of people. The bouncer knows her name. I got my skateboard with me, which wouldn't even be allowed in the in the dive bar. But we're going to like you know the spot, <laughs> the spots, and we go inside. There's bottle service because that's when that was started. Are to pop. you serious? Um, you were like, I love this. Kate woman. Moss is right there, and you know, hold on. You were like, <laughs> I love this woman. Yeah, no doubt, absolutely, <laughs> and so. Over the course of a couple of weeks, I got, oh, I was like, oh, 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 okay, yeah, I, I, you know, 
Um, you came into the knowledge very yes, quick. Yes. Yes. And so, uh, so eventually, uh, she, you know, she got me the job at Union. Wow. Yeah. And so you're working there. At what point in time do you say, I want my own thing? It it's took, time to move it, to it, L.A. Yeah, it like, took a while. How, There's going to be what, a common theme here. Yeah, walk me through that. my wife instigates everything. Okay, okay. I mean, well, bro, I, I, listen, I completely understand where you're coming <laughs> yeah. from. Completely. Yeah, uh, so you're you're in New York. Or you, you're working at? Uh, working so, at Union. Yeah. Oh, you're working at Union. I was working at Union. Union is the job I got. Okay. Yeah, not Supreme. So I, like, uh, James owned Union with uh, Marianne Fusco. Mm-hmm. He owned the Stussy store in New York, and then he owned Supreme. And it was kind of a company that, you know, I worked for James, but I really worked for Union. Got it, got yeah. it. And so how did you jump from New York to Los Angeles? Walk um, us. So I worked at, at Union in New York for like eight years. Wow. And I grew through the ranks. from Oil, bro. Yeah, yeah. Oil, um, yeah. Started to travel, would travel to Europe and Asia and, you know, Started. That's when I started. Even or like even when I got the job, I wasn't into fashion. And this is in like ninety seven, ninety eight. Yeah, ninety six is when I started okay. working there. So ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight. Um, and then my uh, my wife uh, who was in the music industry, but it went to school for and wanted to be in the film industry. Wow. And so she's one day she's like, I want to move to L A. Okay. And I was like, Okay. Uh, nope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, I, like, you're like, I got a good I thing here. Yeah, it was more like, like I had never been to L.A. L.A. Wow. was just not at all. In it wasn't in your zeitgeist at all. At all. And anyway, I was like, but, you know, we wow. loved each other. We were not yet married. We did not have children yet, but we loved each other. We were committed to each other. And so we had a conversation that went like something like, why don't you? She was going to work on a film project. So she moved out here to work on a film project. And I was and it was like a three month gig. And I was like. Go do the gig. I'm here. I'm faithful. I trust you. You trust me. Right. We're good. Right. Right. But right. go and let's report back in three months. See how it goes. See how we feel. And see how we feel. Right. And have this conversation again. Not and I'm moving to LA. Right. right. But we'll have this conversation. But but but, 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 but but what you but what you just said is what she heard. Yeah, I feel, <laughs> I feel Well, you know, God had other plans for us. Right. And basically she moved out to LA and within about two or three weeks of her moving here. She's like, oh, you should come out and visit. So I came out to visit my first time in L.A. And two things happened in that visit that were separate but equal. Okay. I met Eddie Cruz, who owned the union side of things for the first time. I'd never met him. Wow. Right? Okay. And he kind of offered me, like, a pretty major role in his company. He was like, I I want you to move out here. Like, he's... Like wow. pitching to me, I'm not trying to move out here. We have, you know, right? You're like, I no. leave that meeting with him and go meet my wife, where she takes me to a doctor, and we find out she's pregnant. Oh wow! And so yeah. that kind of put yeah. everything on a different track. And so we had a lot of long talks about where we would want to raise our family and what opportunities we had. I just got offered like a really good gig, and she was really happy being out here in L.A. So. Long story short, that's what kind of moved us to L.A. Again, I keep saying this. His line of answers melds perfectly with my questions. What does ownership mean to you? Wow. Because keep in mind, you were working in New York. Yeah. You're loyal, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Your lady comes out here. Yeah. You're not interested in coming out here, but you come out here. They offer you a role, but you find out now 
it's going to get very real because yeah. you got a baby got on the a way. Kid you got a baby on the way. Yep. That being said, We're what is broke? What does ownership mean to you? So I'll answer it in this way. I hope I hope this is the answer that, that you want or that fits the question. Um, when I worked for Eddie and even James and Marianne, I worked there like I owned the place. Absolutely. I gave them 100%. Wow. Um, and in doing so, I was able to learn and gain experience in every facet of the business. Mm. I think at hmm. this point, I was just happy to get a job. Over the course of the next three years, I started to realize that I could have a career in this. And when I started to learn that, I was like, oh, I want to learn everything I can about this. That's right. And so That's right. it wasn't so much of a mutiny or a revolt, but it was more of like, oh, this is my future. I want to be, I want to be kind of, I want to have the agency to control my own destiny. Um, and so I started learning everything I could. I would meet with our, with the bookkeeper and start asking questions Say about how word. the bookkeeping was going. Yeah. I knew how to manage the buy, how to manage the books, how to budget. Like I would learn all these things and I was just hungry. Whatever I could learn, I would learn. I would stay late. I would That's come right. early. Um, I mean, this goes back. This is just, part of who I am, I guess, because even when I was at Union in New York, working at the store, selling T-shirts and guys would come in and be like, at that time, they'd come in and hand deliver like 12 T-shirts. Like, this is a T-shirt I just designed. You know what I mean? Wow. And wow. I was like, I got to understand, oh, this is working. I could probably design a T-shirt. And so I went to the Supreme offices after work where Brendan Babenzine was the head designer for Supreme, mm -hmm. now Noah, and Jeff Heath was the graphic designer. And, I, and they would teach me after hours how to use Illustrator. Wow. And then I started designing my own tees and making my own tees and selling them. So to this day, you know, Illustrator is my number one tool of work. And wow. I learned and I was taught by two dudes wow. in a warehouse. Like after, still never went to, to learn a course of it that to this day. That's amazing. And so I guess it's just, I don't know if it's being a, an only child. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I've always been very independent, but... I've definitely always like, oh, if I want something, I have to go figure it out. You got to go it. get it. And so when I was within about two to three years of working for Eddie, I realized, like, this is my career. This is something I want to do. And I started just soaking up everything I could. Um, and then um, these two things, coincidentally or not, happened at the same time. Mm -hmm. I decided I'm going to break out. I'm going to leave Union. I'm going to open up my own store. And I start working on what that store is going to be. Yeah. That happened right around the time of the recession in 2008. Wow. And so right around that time, at the same time, Eddie pulls me aside and he's like, yo, I'm thinking of closing the store. Wow. Like he's got undefeated. Undefeated is doing well. And unions a hard thing to, to manage and control. And so he, <clears throat> sorry. So he's like, I'm thinking of letting it go. Um, wow. You know, if you can come up with some money, if you can come up with a way to take it over. It's like, yours. Kind of. Wow. Yeah. And so everybody knows you actually you, you came up with the bread because it's yours now. Yeah. How is Union the same as it was when you bought it? And how is it different? Well, you know, I inherited a store that was, a, you know, a place where people who didn't have regular access to kind of the marketplace could mm. come and bring their designs and get their, you know, get, 
get a chance to like sell their goods. Yeah. Um, and that was usually and typically people from marginalized communities who didn't just have access. So they would be hand printing, hand making stuff and bringing it in. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I always wanted to keep that as a part of what we do, like this community. Uh, and so I think that's still part of it, right? Mm -hmm. Union. If you, you know, the definition of union is unity, is bringing people together, a place where people can come together. And so that's a part that I've always kept. It's as far as I'm concerned, and this predates me, I'm not giving myself props by saying this. Mm -hmm. It's the first streetwear store in the world. And so I've always tried to keep it as a streetwear store. Right. Right. At times that was difficult. At times I fought with myself. At times I gave in. Wow. Wow. wow, You know, it wasn't always perfect, but it's always been a streetwear store. So I always tell people that, and I mean, people know this who, who are educated, that you were the cultured version of Fred Siegel. <laughs> I mean, wow. you, you were the cultured version. So prior to opening ceremony, coming and going, yeah. Dover Street opening, you carried the brands that many stores came and plucked and, and used as cornerstones. Yes. Right? How did you stay afloat? Um, I think we, you know, at the end of the, there's a term in retail called clienteling. And we mm-hmm. just had a really loyal and dedicated clientele. Uh, who appreciated how we served them. Yeah. I think they appreciated our edit. You you know, look around now. There's no uniqueness in retail. Everybody's buying the same thing. Exactly. At least the same brands, right? We all know the brands that are hot. And so early on, we were really well known and respected for our edit of the brand. So it wasn't so much right. that we had the brand, although we had some, it. like pieces it that you we, chose. how we edited it. And early on, we were buying it in a different way than, than than those places. We were buying streetwear and later on high fashion in a very streetwear way. Yes. No, I don't know how that sounds like a lazy way of like, you know. No, that's just like that. Just, no. you know, using that word, but that no one else was doing at the time. And so, so that kept. And, and we also kind of the, the, I guess our best kept secret for lack of a better term was uh, we had established. So. To, this is I can kind of answer the two questions that you just asked with one answer. The thing that was different, um, I really, really embraced the Jap- Japanese streetwear there we go. in a way that my predecessors didn't. They yeah. had it, but they yeah. hadn't really embraced it the way I did. And, I was, and that's full circle. That's because in New York, those brands weren't available. Neighborhood, Double Taps, um, VizVim. They weren't available. When I came from Union, New York, didn't sell those. Hmm. And we didn't have access to them. Wow. And I wanted them. So much like when I'm in Canada and I want this thing that's in America and I could see it and touch it, but I can't get it. When I was in New York at Union, we didn't have access to the Japanese brands. Mm -hmm. And when I moved to L.A., that's when I gained access to it. So I really appreciated it maybe more than my predecessors. Not that they were wrong. They just it was it was a different thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, At the time. Union uh, in L.A. It was before that Supreme opened. So Supreme was our number one brand. We were the Supreme store, basically. Wow. So that's got what got a lot of the attention. Right. And I was really into, you know, but Supreme is what I knew. I'm from New York. That's, right. I could get that's Supreme. True. That's I true. I can't get double taps. And so I was right. really into that. And so my, there's kind of probably two um, versions of Union that are that are mine or like that happened with me, one was this very strong pivot to the Japanese brands. And one of the things that that did is that kept us exclusive. So you couldn't go get those. Fred Siegel didn't 
sound neighborhood or Visvim, you know, right. or what have you. So we had right. something that was really exclusive that you had to come to us to get. Right. And then later on, as the Japanese brands evolved, so the the uh, linear line, so to speak, you know, the progression is streetwear. We would carry streetwear, straight note chaser, T-shirts, hats, screen printed T-shirts, hats, hoodies, jeans. The right? high-low. And it's a f- relatively affordable. Mm-hmm. Then we introduced Japanese streetwear, which is that, but on a higher level, it's way more detail oriented. It's using better materials and fabrics. It's constructed on a better, and, and everything's better. Higher price point. Higher price point. Yes. But very limited. So now we've got a customer coming in who's now, you know, evolved from a $20 Hanes t shirt to an $80 Japanese t shirt. Mm. They now are getting to, just with me. It's not like I'm leading them, I'm learning too with them. Like, oh, wow. There's a this is a twenty count versus right. whatever Haynes was. Right. This right. is a cashmere blend in the fleece or whatever. This is loop wheeled versus right. a shitty fifty fifty blend. Whatever right. it is, there's a better grade and you're learning it. And so now, oh, this drapes better. This just fits mm. better. It's been considered. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. So now wow. you can get a not just a twenty dollar or eighty dollar hoodie that is just a blank that someone screen printed on because that's the access that those people would have had like Mm -hmm. early, you know, this has been custom made and it's got a particular fit and And it's got a story, right? Yes. And so, but that comes at a price and that comes at a higher price point. And so, and we're getting limited versions. We, you know, like, you know, I remember famously when I went to do my first bait buy, they would have like a, a, an order form. And I remember the first time I went, I didn't quite understand it would. It said one maximum. <laughs> like you would have okay. a, an item that would say one maximum, and I didn't. You know, I never knew there could be limitations on what you would buy. Okay. Yo, I could sell like fifty of these. You know what I mean? Right. No, you can only get one. And there would be like it would be like they a, would only sell one, dude. You know, I I don't know <laughs> if I don't want to date you or disrespect you or whatever. Wow. But you remember like the camo hoodies, the bait, yes. and remember when yes. those were really hard to get. Now yeah. you can get them easily. And they had the green, they mm-hmm. had red, yeah. they had purple, they had multi, yeah. right? There's extra small through double extra large in four. So you'd look on the line sheet, they'd be one. And I'd have to be like, like one per color per size? No, you can get one. One. That is right? amazing. <laughs> so, you, so you're like. I, I'll I, get I, a large yeah. in the blue. And bring it over, and then we've got a lineup down the block of people who want this that hoodie one who's hoodie. mad at me. And I'm like, they only let me buy one. Oh my you know God. what I mean? But why did they do that, though? I mean, limited. That's uh, the the trick to the Japanese kind of uh, fashion and retail is this play on supply and demand. Okay, that's that's, and if you want to sum up streetwear in a nutshell, that's what it is. They're the Jordan this of play, it. You know, this the play on supply and demand. Supply wow. a little bit less than the demand, so that you can keep them coming back for more. But one, Chris, way. I know it was pretty. Come on, crazy. bro, you can at least give me, me one of each size. Trust me, I feel you. But that's what it was. Okay, so so I'm gonna bring it all up. Like like we're in the suite, but I want to bring it all the yeah. way to okay. the street level. Oh, so sorry. Last thing I'll say, really, just because I was please. So please. basically, you so they're limited. I can't. I can only get one. So I need to fill the racks with something else. So I had to, and now I've got a customer coming in who has no problem paying six hundred dollars for a button-up shirt. 
yeah. who understands drape and fabric and whatever. And your edit. And so I start looking to Paris. I start looking to to high fashion. Wow. But I do a, a streetwear buy. Oh, these brands make things that we would buy. That we, we would consume. Af- we were afraid of it because it's high fashion. It's Paris. Do we right. belong? Should we be there? It's fashion. You right. know what I mean? But they're actually making parts of their of their collection that would easily fit into our wardrobe. Wow. And so we started doing that edit, and that's how we kind of – that's the evolution of Union, the streetwear, straight note chaser, to Japanese streetwear, to high fashion. Wow. All right. So I want to ask you, what does a cold outfit mean to you? Oh, damn. And, and, and see, and see, uh. So you know <laughs> that, 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 that you wear – and, like, you have a consistency because you have such a cozy and unique style. So I want to know, what does a cold outfit mean to you? Oh, man, you put me on the spot. Um, but I mean, like, this is just your answer. So yeah. there is no wrong answer. Yeah. I mean, like, pr- 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 pretty much what I'm asking you is, when I was young, the day before school, yeah. I would lay stuff out, and I'd be like, I am going to kill <laughs> them tomorrow. Yeah, I'm going to literally lift them to the heavens when they see me tomorrow. What okay. is that outfit like, like? My like, version of that is... It's way more subtle. Okay. Like, I don't want to walk on the first day of school and be the fresh new kicks, fresh out the box, the best ones that anyone, that no one can get, and it's only me. Okay. And brand new jeans and the brand new hoodie. I don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be that guy. I want you to, like, I want to be be unassuming. Mm. You're not checking for me. I didn't walk on campus and... Like I'm peacocking, but I but I do, like, at about two in the afternoon, you have to be sitting next to me, and you're like, "What is that sweater? What the fuck are those kicks?" Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba da ba ba ba. Right, you know what I mean. Not, yeah. you know what I mean? Kind of, that's what I like. Like, oh shit, what are those? I, you know, I want to be, uh, and it's not in your face. It's not like, that's what I like. But when I you like, pay attention, it's like. Yeah. And then you, then you're like, you know, so it's like, or you might, you know, later on, I mean, this wouldn't have happened in high school, but as an adult, like, you know, I take off my jacket and I put it over the chair and maybe you go to move the jacket and you feel Wait, what fucking fabric right. is this jacket? I thought you were just wearing some London fog motherfucking. Nah. What? You this know? Is refi- so so let me explain to people something. This is the only brother that I know who can go on a hike in Birkenstocks <laughs> and not a single rock get in his slide. You're walking different, brother. <laughs> You're walking different. You have appointed steps. That's what I'm saying. So, all right. So you purchase Union. Yes. Union is rocking. You got your edits down. You're rocking. You mm-hmm. say, okay, well, now it's time for me to start my own brand. How do you do your own brand? And I'd have a situation like Opening Head where right. they were like, you know, they would buy uh, Drees and then a lot of their stuff start to look like Drees. And got, order, it. Like, got it. How did, you, how did you do it to where you had your own ethos, your own lane? Remember how I told you this conversation is going to have a common theme, which is anything good is instigated by my my wife. Yeah. My wife was yeah. like, 
why are you selling other people's stuff? Ooh. You introduce these brands to the world, and then they blow other up. stores have it, and you're struggling to find the next thing. Like, make your own. Make your own. Make your own, motherfucker. Make right, your own. Yeah. right. And so that took way too long, but eventually I listened to her, and uh, we started to work or try to work on our own collections. Yeah. What I will say is, and this might sound crazy to people listening, um, it's one thing to be editing. It's, you know, like, what do they say? Uh, You know, it's easy to coach. You know, Mm. it's hard to be the player. Right. And I had spent my whole career being the coach. Yeah. Like, uh, oh, I'll pick that. You made a dope thing. I'll pick that. Right. And so I had a very tough time pivoting to making the product. Both mm-hmm. from a creative perspective of trying to make something different, mm-hmm. from a logistical perspective of you've now got to find a producer and you've, there's a, you know, production, development, fabrics, mm-hmm. like all these things. And, you know, put that all together. Whereas I'm used to like, I'm spoiled. Go to Japan. That looks <laughs> dope. I'll take four of those. Now I got to go to a find the fabric mill and find the that looks dope in the fabric. Then I got to go to do the same thing. I got the fabric. Now I got to go find the that looks dope in the, like, who's going to put it together. Who's going to manufacture it. that looks it. dope in the packaging. You know, exactly. Yeah, and so, bro. It's a lot. And then the business model, full transparency, uh, probably too much information, but, like, in by the time we were making these decisions, I was going to Paris. We were just in Paris together, right? So we were just doing our whatever our fall buy right mm-hmm. so hey that looks dope i'll take twenty thousand dollars worth of that in january meanwhile february march april they're making it they're getting it made we're not doing shit and i haven't spent a dime right uh um you know uh, august comes by they're ready to start shipping you okay. know what i mean they ship me the goods. I get the box of goods. I put it on my website or in my store. I sell it. I have a 30-day window to sell it. And after that 30 days, here's the money. Thank you very much. Yeah. We sold it or we didn't. We either did well or we didn't. We've been very responsible over the course of the years, so we pay whether we sold it or not. Not all do that, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so Correct. with making goods, you got to pay up front every click of the way. And so wow. there's a different cash flow needed. I'm used to like I'm talk that talk in a way, right? Talk that talk. You know, so I had to learn that. I had to learn that cash flow where it's like, oh, I'm used to like, all right, I've got, I've based my year on this product that I know is coming in that I won't have to pay till after I receive it. Mm-hmm. When you're making the goods, you have to pay for it up front, mm-hmm. like way up front, like way before it's even made, yeah, and then go sell it. So I had yeah. to learn and understand and, and navigate that business model, which was very difficult. Um, we're still learning a lot. We're wow. virgins in the game with, with regards to like um, this. We're still learning a lot. We still have still stuff I learn every day. About. Well, brother, it, 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 that that makes two of us. But there, yeah. so so there's something I want to share with you. So you are the rites of passage for so many LA designers, like the Spike Lee of the LA landscape. <laughs> I say this because you carry so many top Japanese, French, and American brands. Um, you're like. You know, when a comedian is joining the cast of like Living Color when it was hot or <laughs> yeah. Saturday Night Live when I mean, like like that, like that's what it meant. Yeah. And yeah. that's what it means. So, like, are you aware of that? Um, I, I aware of it in a way where like uh, especially early on, I considered it our duty. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was an honor to be that. Yeah. Right. 
these people and these brands uh, haven't always had uh, access to this marketplace. And this, this is what this store is here for. This right. is what my predecessors built it for. Mm. So don't don't thank me. Thank them. Mm. And thank, you, you know, it's but you carried it, though. But you yes, carried it. Yes. And improved um, upon it. Yeah. I also there were years where I lost my way. You know, I'll right. admit where I was right. like, you know, especially with, as we started getting into more Japanese stuff, um, you know, it's weird. And I, and I guess I'm going to get defensive for a second. Mm-hmm. But, you mm-hmm. know, early on, we carried streetwear and that we were a store where young up and coming designers could come sell their goods. Streetwear has had a couple different iterations, iterations. Yes. And the first pop like went federated Macy's, mm. you know. Uh, mm. Naked chicks, guns, <laughs> skulls yeah. on a T-shirt. That's streetwear, right? right? We'll do it. And so um, there was an era in the early aughts where all of the people who used to come to us weren't didn't have to anymore. Right. And so they had access to the marketplace now because it's the new thing. Right. And so right. it's funny. The Japanese stuff came because we had to look for something else to fill our shelves. Wow. But then we got kind of high on that drug, on the Japanese drug, and we admittedly forgot what what we came from. I wow. I did. Wow. And so I got really high on the Japanese stuff. I stopped paying attention to American streetwear. Do part and parcel to like they stopped paying attention to us, but then I right. also stopped paying attention to them. So and at some point, it, it was but mutual. at some point I needed to to my duty was to pay attention to that. And I lost sight of that. Wow. Uh, and so, wow, wow, wow. and really that happened in like, I would say the, the, the like early, like what do you call it? Tween knots, like around 2011, 12, 13 or so right. is where I probably was at the lowest point. Really not. And, uh, and you know, it took, um, you know, a couple friends kind of alerting me to like, yo, you got to give access to these brands. Like, I know you've changed, and I know the store's changed, but you still need to be this. You know what That's I mean? That's amazing. Um, so we definitely lost our way for a little while, and it, um, it's embarrassing. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not happy about. I'm not proud of that. But, but I will tell you this: the mark of a good man is to know the fault and apologize for it and make right of it. Yeah. So, well, like, you got, you know, you delved into the community. You got fear of God, supervision, bricks and woods. Yeah. Me, yep. put in there. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? And several other LA brands aligned under your umbrella. Yeah. But what I want to ask you now is in reference to, you know, you 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 said this, the underlying current of everything that happens, Beth is there. Yes. Right? Yeah. Accomplished stylist, designer yes. in her own right. Yes. How do you balance the family, love, and work aspect? Because that's a <laughs> bro, that's a juggernaut. Yeah, it is. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a t- it's a tough one. Um, it uh, you know it's something that uh, I'm probably still learning. Yeah, uh, you know, um, Beth uh, obviously, as I've already shared, you know, put me onto this world, right, and then helped me progress through it. Um, she's still an, an everyday part of the store. Yeah, um, she was like our head of marketing and our head of visuals for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, she had kind of realized that like as much as she's helping and much as she's a part of this because we'll she's our thing. family yeah she we moved out here for her to be in film right and so uh and a couple years ago she kind of stepped back uh she did native uh, son right? costume design for native son shout out to you beth no doubt shout out <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah uh she but she wants to be behind the camera not 
just in fashion. And so that's what her real passion is. Yeah. And so uh, lately we've been honored and blessed to be able to do a lot of like, uh, you know, short films and videos that kind of for our marketing. And she's kind of taking control of that. And, and, and it's been incredible mm-hmm. to watch her grow and be able to grow in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard, you know, uh, we both have two different visions. I'm stubborn. She's stubborn. Yeah. Uh, it's tough. It's tough, yeah. you know, but we, we make it work. You make it work. Yeah. It's a, it, it's, it's, it's Compromise. A, there we go. There we go. So in reference to expansion. Yes. How is that going? Um, so we have two stores in Japan, we mm-hmm. have one in Tokyo, one in Osaka. That might seem weird to others, but it's very normal for me and for kind of what I've seen with, you know, this movement that I've been a part of, you know, right. Uh, Supreme, when I was, when, when Supreme had one store in America, they had 10 in Japan. When wow. Stussy had two stores in America, they wow. had 50 in Japan. Wow. Japan loves streetwear. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and yeah. so when we were approached to, to open up a store in Tokyo, it made sense to me. It wasn't like a weird thing. It wasn't right. weird to me that like, we don't even have one in New York. Mm. Um, why you know um and so and those stores are doing really well we opened up the osaka store in october and congratulations thank you and it's been yeah. great um and it's been really great to have supportive partners like uh, i do with, with my partners in japan um i would love to be back in new york that's been a goal of ours to uh, move back to like well the store to be back there okay uh, that's where it started yeah um and what we've realized or what we've come to say I don't want to say realize because and I and I don't want to say accept, but what mm-hmm. we come to say is, um, for us to open up another door and expand in America in particular, um, we need to get our private label, what we make, up and running to a place where it can um, to an optimal level. Well, where it deserves its own store, where the store could be running and be successful, do, based solely on what we're making and selling because one of the things that I've learned through being in this business so long is it's really hard to rely on other brands and that's getting harder with the internet. People Mm -hmm. can go DTC now. Right. So we've put a lot, we're putting a lot of our energy on yourself, on our own stuff, to grow our own stuff. And we're not there yet, but when we get to a place where I can open up a store in New York, that's selling predominantly our own goods. I never want to be fully our stuff. I still want to stay true to like what we're what the mission we've always, statement. The mission statement. Yeah. But when we can predominantly sell our stuff and pay our rent and pay our staff, that's when we'll expand. Uh, full transparency. We're discussing and discerning and trying to figure out if we want to do wholesale or not. We don't currently do wholesale, and that's a whole other thing. That we're yeah. Trying to, right now, we couldn't. Um, without getting into the weeds of it, the way we make our product, we couldn't wholesale it. Um, but we're because, trying. Of be, 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 because of the price point and the margin. Yes. Right now our margins aren't what, what they would need to be for us to wholesale. They're, they're built to, for us to sell it on our, on our own. And it's funny because I wouldn't call it a mistake. It's a necessity. That's just how we've had to get into the business. Mm-hmm. But, uh, in the 20 years of running this store and being a place for new brands to come in, it's an early lesson. I try and tell Wow. Some of the designers, because earlier on, especially, I think now people know this better than I do, but earlier on, you'd have a, a guy or a girl who made a shirt and maybe it cost them five. So they want to sell it for 10. Right. You cool. sell it for 25. Right. 
but then and so they've they've been selling the shirts on their own like hand to hand for 10 or 20 bucks and they're make you know they they make it for 10 they sell it for 20 they're happy everybody's happy right, right. and 20 dollars would have been nowadays it's 40 but back then 20 dollars would have been what you would have paid for a t-shirt mm-hmm. so then they find union or we find them these shirts are dope we want to bring it into the store what's what's the wholesale to me and they haven't thought about wholesale hmm. so the same 10 dollars that uh, $20 that they're selling the shirt and making their profit on is what they want to sell it to me for. And you're but like, I'm that's like, cutting it too. Yeah, but you're selling it to the consumer for 20. You've got to, I've got to be able to sell it for 20. And so it's things that a lot of early brands had to learn. I'm reteaching that to myself right wow. now in our margins, just the way that we've circled around how we're making our product. We're not making margins where we could wholesale to, to other companies. Got that's it. something we're working on. Well, well, I will tell you this. There is nobody who does a better job of hustling. And when I say hustle, <laughs> I don't mean finesse. Because I hate that. I mean, like, like I, I, I hate when I feel like I'm being finesse. What I mean by hustle is, like, we have businesses that we have to keep open. Yeah. And money is the blood of a business. And so you embarked on this journey. I remember the first dunks you did. <laughs> With Nike, yeah, like how like how prized of a possession they were. It was, it was lined up and down the street, and like you flip that. And when I talk about hustle, I'm talking yeah. about what you're doing with Nike and the Jordan mm-hmm. collaboration. Like it is like next level. And this current campaign, <laughs> it is so 1988. Yeah, dope boy. <laughs> I mean, it is so good. Thank you. Thank how you. you did? How did that come about? Um. So. You know, my relationship with Jordan, um, every time we start a new collection, there's kind of a dance. There's kind of a back. Sometimes I lead, sometimes they lead. Mm. Um, the first shoe, they led. Right? Oh, okay. Uh, or the first collection, they led. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one, I led. The third one, they kind of led, but I kind of, it was kind of, you know, mm-hmm. the, the two, they led. And so coming into this one, they wanted uh they kind of and 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 co- and funny enough people won't believe this they always start with a conversation around apparel jordan does or nike always. does jordan our jordan collections always start with a narrative and a conversation around apparel but that's the that's your background becomes, though right that's why i have this they yeah. came to me you know uh, i don't know really quickly how how the whole relationship started um they came to me one time, they came in the store, and they were like, hey, can we get a coffee and just pick your brain? Hey, we're really trying to figure out apparel, and who better to talk to than you, right? Uh, what? Who should we partner? Who should we look to, right? This was, let's call it 2016, maybe 2017, mm-hmm. forgive me if I'm off by a year. And I'm like, well, I got an easy answer for you, fear God. This is the only the, the guy's wow. killing it right now. Wow. He's murdering it. Wow. And uh and wow. he's selling a non-branded hoodie for $600 and we can't keep him in stock. What more do you want? There's no logo on it. You know? Yeah. Uh yeah. And so uh they were like, "Well, thank you." And we kind of had a conversation about whether that would last, this that and the other and they knew of Jerry, so they eventually I think reached out to him and I'm, I He'd be better to tell his version of the story. I don't right. want but and so almost as an afterthought, we're walking out of the cafe and they're like, Well, what would you do? 
And I didn't hear that as like an opportunity. I heard that as an earnest question of what would you do? And I was like, hmm, I never thought of it. Well, I guess I thought of what Jordan product would I want, you know? Yeah. And I was like, and I was at the time, and I, was, uh, I hadn't really delved into like their their history, their vintage in apparel. They do it with sneakers all the time, but they hadn't done it yeah. in apparel. And I was like, yo, if I was at the Rose Bowl, and I was thumbing through a rack, and I found a perfectly patina, crinkled, yeah, cream, yep. right. I know something like yep. Jordan T-shirt from a certain era, from like nineteen eighty-six to ninety-one. You know that would be dope. That's the vibe, right? Yes, that's what I want. They're like, all right, well, thank you. You know what I mean? I was like, all right, cool, peace, peace, peace. Right. A couple months later, a box shows up at my door, and it's a bunch of old, washed out patinaed with the old like flight logos and stuff like that gear everybody loves mcdonald's fries so yes you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home um but the bag did feel a little light Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. was it from that era or was it remade from remade from oh, that wow. era. okay got right? it got it with no context so the guy calls me up and he's like, hey, did you get the box? I'm like, yeah, what is this? He's like, hey, we listened to you. We made the stuff. What do you think? And I was like, actually, it's pretty good. There are things I would change. Right. But I'm impressed. This is pretty good. What's up? Are you guys going to market with this? Yeah, we're going to market with it. We want you to go to market with it. And I was like, and I'm still thinking as a retailer. So I'm like, well, when is it, you know, like I'm thinking they're contacting me as a retailer. And so I'm like, well, um, you know, when is it? Will we have exclusive? What stores? What other stores do I do? No, we want you to launch it. Yeah, right? this I'm is like, yours, right? And so, and I'm kind of like inching closer and closer to like understanding, but still not really understanding. So eventually, I'm like, so can I edit? Can I change the designs? Yeah, you could do whatever you want. Like not whatever, but yeah, can I change the body because the fit wasn't the way I wanted? Can I change the wash? Can I change? Yes, 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 you can. The last question I asked: Can I add a shoe to this? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Trepidation. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you can. Okay. And so um, uh, they were like, what shoe would you add? And I was like, the indelible, the one. You know? And they're like, okay. None and better. so originally the collection was about supposed to be about this vintage vibe. And the first shoe we made, somewhere in my office is the first, you know, mock-up. I made, it's funny, and I'm I'm not trying to steal anyone's thunder, but it's just, it's it's reality. I wanted to make a patina vintage shoe mm. to go with the patina vintage collection. Right. In 2016, 17, that wasn't quite on Vogue. Right. And I don't know that they had the capabilities to do that. Mm. But the idea in my head was very close to the two that Virgil put out where the soles kind of, uh, right? Yeah. So we did a couple mock-ups and it wasn't hitting. It wasn't. No, it didn't. It wasn't. We weren't landing. The shoe wasn't landing properly. Okay. They It wasn't looking organic and authentic as I wanted it to. Got and you. And I suppose we could have kept going at it and maybe gotten it there then. And also my staff was like, yo, dude, nobody wants to wear a vintage-looking shoe. Wow. Like, you, you know, and so one of the things I pride myself on, and sometimes I make mistakes. Well, listening to my staff, they might disagree with that part. But yes, but and and also... Um, finding the marriage 
finding the balance between commerce and design. Amen. Right. Amen. And so I was like, hey, so we reeled it back and we decided to make a shoe that was inspired by vintage, but not an actual vintage looking shoe and something and then and then engage the consumer to beat it up. Wow. So that was the AJ1 and how we got to the AJ1. And that's how we got there through that kind of conversation. Fast forward to this one. They approached me and they're like, hey, we want something like you're always pushing the envelope with us. You're always kind of disrupting what we do yeah we want a we want a collection that's a lot more grounded can you do a grounded collection yeah Yeah, sure why not yeah right so don't do your washes really simple corporate branding just like turn it down this is what we want right now for this thing right uh and that's was and that was a very specific request around the apparel wow and so and then we started talking about and what footwear would complement that and at the time, we were looking at the, the airship, and we were looking at the AJKO high. Mm-hmm. But I had seen in the office an the AJKO low in development. Fire. And I was like, can I get that one? Fire. And they said yes. And so because this was the first AJKO low ever, I didn't want to be so disruptive to the shoe. Yeah. And it reminded me, when I saw that shoe, right, because it reminded me of that late mid to late 80s era of a really basic shoe because they weren't of the time when these brands weren't made nowadays we're spoiled they are making product they're in our heads making product for us yes in the 80s that wasn't happening at all and so you had to take that product and then dress yourself and flex and style yourself in a way that to accent the product around what you want to be communicating. Mm-hmm. And so at the basis of what we tried to do here was I wanted to revisit that time. Wow. That time for me yeah. was traveling to Brooklyn to visit my aunt and uncle. Uh, Hold walking. on one second. Sorry, Hold on man. one second. When I saw that <laughs> campaign, this is what I thought about. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Bro, let's let this play for a second. <laughs> When you say you love me, it doesn't matter. It goes into my head and just chit chat. Oh, yeah. That's what exactly. I thought about. Exactly. You're right there. Yeah. And so that's my era. You know, that's when I discovered hip hop. That's when I discovered myself. That's when I discovered wow. fashion. That's when there was someone speaking to me and speaking a language wow. that I understood. So hip hop is very important to me. It's very important to this whole movement, to yeah. this whole culture. And so um, I wanted to get bring back that emotion. And, and you did it, bro. Thank you. Like, thank I mean, you. like, it's, it, it's so cool. So what, what informs your design language and marketing? Uh, it's a very simple answer. Um, when, when I think we're doing the best job and what I like to do the most, it's not so creative in its thought. Right. Hopefully we do it in a creative manner, mm-hmm. but it's an honest, earnest, organic, holistic, wow. yes. linear conversation that happens from the design all the way through to the marketing. And so wow. that era inspired me. So I'm going to market it through that era. Say word. They asked me about the one what I wanted. I wanted vintage Jordan stuff. So we marketed and did the Rose Bowl. I I literally thought, what would I like if I started the Rose Bowl? That was so a great campaign too, by the way. You did. <laughs> Thank you. That Thank was you. great. 
So we released it at the Rose Bowl. Um, the uh, the second round of fours we did, um, those were, you know, to me, um, I, I got inspired by like kind of uh, the the hiking phenomenon of like the, the mid 90s, you know, when kids were wearing North Face jackets and Vast hiking boots. boots, ACG, Vast. <sighs> You know, Morels in L.A. I mean, in New York, it would have been Paragons mm-hmm. and a store called yeah. Tent and Trails. So, yeah. so we did a whole camping thing around these. You know, hiking and outdoor camping thing around this shoe because that was the inspiration behind the shoe. And did Jordan um, understand that? Um, I mean, I would say, generally speaking, yeah. You know, they've been okay. extremely supportive. Okay. Uh, on occasion, I'll get yeah, but what does this have to do with basketball? That was my on next question. Yeah. On occasion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they've been extremely supportive, and yeah, they get it. Um, mm-hmm. And so with this one, it was easy. It was, you know, full transparency, you know. And I'll admit, we usually don't get into the marketing until way later, which is I'm trying to be better at that. But on this one, we had to go get that that chain made really early on. Because wow. the box, so the timeline for the shoes is about a year. Mm-hmm. And so, and the box has to get made early on. And I wow. wanted that on the box. So we had to go get that chain made like a year ago. Wow. And it's been sitting. In a, and actually, sorry, forgive me. It's not real. It's fake. It's just gold plated. What? <laughs> oh, man, and I thought no, that was for sale no, no. At, at union.com. No, I mean, it could be for sale, but you would don't spend a lot. <laughs> um, and actually, I guess with gold plating, uh, if it's left in humidity, it will kind of tarnish. Oh, wow. So it got tarnished. I had to go get it retouched oh, for, wow. in time for the shoot. Like wow. rush to get it retouched, but yeah, um, beautiful. Super happy with the campaign and how it came about, and like really happy that we could kind of, um, you know, lean into that period of time that was, you know, a really important pivotal to to yeah, to, to so many to of us. Everything, man. So, as an artist, what would you say is your value proposition? What the hell does that mean? <laughs> so, my artist. So, so me as a artist, my okay. value proposition is um, the things that I make. I make these things or these articles for the best moments of your life. Okay. okay. I'm making the, I'm, I'm, I'm making suiting and I'm making clothing. Well, I, I'll, I'll take the ready to yeah. wear out of it for, for yeah. now. I'm making stuff for guys who are getting drafted, who are going to premieres, who are going into rooms of professional non-smilers mm. and asking for checks for movies. My value proposition is that I am able to reach the level with where, where I know my client can go. I give him or she, what they need before they even realize it. That's my value proposition. Okay. So what would you say is your value proposition? I will probably think about it. I would like to think about it through two different lenses. One is, for me, fashion, I wear fashion more for me than for how people are seeing it on me. Wow. I want to feel strong and comfortable Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, positive. Yeah. And so I hope... That when people are wearing something I've designed, they they first and foremost feel great about themselves. Amen. So that's the thing. Amen. Like I, you know, one of the things we've always one of our little tagline was keeping that we that we use is keeping you fly since '89, right? Like, and another tagline we do or a sub tagline is like, we've always said in the store, we're a store for people that can dress themselves. Yeah. If you can't <laughs> dress yourself, if you need. Right. The labels to be dressing you, right? You shouldn't be coming to our store. Right. Go to where the labels are, right? Right? Because most of the labels wow. that we carry, especially traditionally, were not heard of, 
Right. But if you can put it together, you'll be the flies motherfucker. Right. And so, and there's a certain confidence with that. There's a certain, you know, feeling that I want people to have for themselves. So that's yeah. one thing that I guess, I hope I'm answering that question. No, probably. you answered it perfectly. And then the other one is just like, I really hope and really strive for, you know, we, we live in a world of trends. Yes, we and do. And sometimes what we make is trendy, you know, but it's not trend driven. Mm. And what I really have mm. always strived to with the store, first and foremost, when I'm selling you something, I don't want you coming in a year later and being like, I can't wear that anymore. That was cool right. a, year, a year ago. And it's not cool anymore. Right. I want people to be coming back. I wanted loyalty. I wanted a return customer. So I never sold somebody. We would never be the store like, that looks great on you. Go. Ah, come in here and find what looks dope on you. And there were many a days where me and my staff would be like, yo, today we ain't got it. American Rag's right down there. Right. They sell PRPS jeans. I could see you being flying those. Right. Go get them. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Um, right. And so with the collection and what we're designing, same thing. I want you, I want that to be. And so what makes me feel really validated and really great is when these shoes are worth 10 times what they right. were. Like you buy them and they're worth 10 times the value. Yeah, that's like amazing. A second later or years later, you know, when people are like, yo, you got the one stuff. I'm like, dude, I ain't, you know. They're gone. They're gone. You know. Right. Yo, they're $1,000 or whatever. And I'm like, that makes that means they retain the value. You yeah. Know what I mean? And that's, that means Increase the they're value. classic. Yeah. That means they're classic. And that's something that, uh, that, that I'm proud of. So we got four more questions, and, brother, we are done for the afternoon. But before we even get to these four questions, brother, I just want to let you know what an absolute joy has been to just sit with you, brother, and to, and, and to just get this wisdom. <laughs> the fact that we're actually recording it so it is a living testament. Thank brother. You. Thank you for having me. I've, uh, we're not done yet, though. Okay. <laughs> not done yet. We got four more questions. Okay, okay. But you were saying thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I've been an admirer of you, for, of you from afar before we knew each other. Yeah. And then as we become friends, it's been great to get to know you and yeah. great to just socialize together. Yeah. Your family, my family. Yeah. And Bill. Of, yeah. Yeah. Our, so our, thank our, you, man. Our conversations are very real, bro. Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very real. Yeah. <laughs> so, I always know I'm having a real conversation oh, yeah. with you. Absolutely. So what would you be if you were not at the helm of union? That's easy. I was in school when I was working in union. I was in school to be a teacher. What type? I hadn't made that decision yet. Because me too. I'll, That's I'll tell you, um, I'll say this. The teacher, I had a really great history geography teacher in middle school that inspired me to want to be a teacher. So maybe history geography. Wow. What's the advice you would give a younger you? Mm. It's a, it used to be an easy answer and now I'm doubting myself a little bit Wow! because the times have changed and I'm not quite sure if this answer fits the times. I don't know. I'm not saying it does. Wow. I'm not saying it doesn't. Yeah. But I used to say, you know, and it's kind of coming full circle to something I said earlier. I would, I would tell them someone work your ass off. Yeah. Uh, when you're working at a job, work there like you own it. Yes. And that kind of, for me, that manifested. Yes. You know what Ooh. I mean? Now, yeah. Yeah. where I get a little bit shy there is like, could that happen for everyone? Uh, you know what I mean? I don't know. But for me, I worked at this place. I, I treated it like I owned it, and it manifested. And so I would have told someone that and still am inclined to do so. Um, 
the other thing I, I would say is, you know, I'm a mixed kid from Canada, a little bit of a weirdo, especially coming up. And I had, and I had, and still retain a lot of off center opinions and mm-hmm. tastes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so early on, I doubted those tastes. I doubted myself. I was like, why would anybody care what I think about mm. this? You know what I mean? And yeah. I would try and figure out what everybody else wanted. The more I trusted my point of view and shared it, the more success I gained. And so I would tell someone, trust in yourself. Yeah, you know, you'd be surprised, like, how many people my story, when I share it, touches i'm surprised to this day yeah it resonates you know what i mean yeah it resonates. um yeah but there's something there there's something there that's unique and special that people you know um and so trust in yourself uh on like honesty is the best policy i'm you know you'll hear me say it a million times i try to be honest and organic and holistic with everything i'm doing um and that has proven to be successful now i guess i started this off by saying i I question whether that's good advice and I'll tell you why I question it. And hopefully I haven't, I don't have the answer as to whether it is good or bad advice, but I can at least share the, the advice that I would give if prompted, which I just did. And then the question is why, when I question it, um, that definitely worked for me mm-hmm. as a Gen X kid, right? The world's moving so fast right now. I worked at union in New York making damn near minimum wage for eight years. Wow. I didn't have a weekend off for eight years. Wow. I moved to L.A. and did another six years here making very little money, uh, but I was committed. You know what I mean? And in time, that commitment and that persistence and that, you know, work like working here like I owned it paid off where I can tell the story I've just shared with you. I don't know if that's rinse, wash, repeatable in this era. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And if I'll tell you this, if I was talking to my son, I'd give him that advice. I'd give him the advice that I gave without the, I don't know if that's going to work today. Yeah. Hard work, work there like like you own it because Mm -hmm. what I try and tell my staff and anybody who's listening is the experience you're gaining the things you're learning are just adding to your resume. And yeah, maybe it's on the man's dime. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Maybe you're giving yourself to me right. and you're working hard for me. You're, my staff will be working at union for me as if they owned it, but I own it. Correct. You know what I mean? Correct. But what I try and share with them is like, yeah, but you're learning all this stuff that like, hopefully you can, you're to make yourself better. Mm-hmm. And yes, I'm paying you, and so you're making me better, but you're also making yourself better. And if you're just here, and I'm paying you, and you're on your phone, and you're not paying attention, That's your you're fault. actually wasting your time more than mine. Right. Right. Fuck me. Right. You're wasting your time. Is right. This, that's the best you could do? Right. Is be on your phone and not really pay attention to what's going mm. on and do the bare minimum? You're wasting your time. Yeah, you're wasting mine. I lose, because I have a staff that's not really trying. But really... You're losing. Why are you worried about me? You should be worried about you. Correct. And you're wasting your time. Correct. But it's hard to say that as the business owner. It sounds like I'm trying to make you work harder for me. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. No, no, no. That's 
That's real. Yeah. That's that's real advice. Wow. Last question. How do you find peace of mind? Mm. And we're going to ride on out on that one. <laughs> we're going to ride on out. Uh, okay. Well, <laughs> this is going to be a weird answer, I guess. Um, I've recently started therapy. Hey, man. And I've found out that I'm a very self-indulgent person. Yeah. And so finding peace of mind has never been a problem for me, actually. Um, I'm very, I'm, I'm an independent, very independent, only child. I like my me time. Uh, I know what I like. I know where and how to find it. Um, and so I have problems like everyone else in this world, but, uh, finding peace is something I'm probably way too comfortable with. I probably need to not be finding it as easily or as, or as much as I want. My wife would be like, I'm too comfortable. Sometimes you gotta be uncomfortable but um right. i i always make sure like you know this is gonna sound very i don't know whatever corny but like i always make sure i get to bed on time i always make sure i get the hours of sleep that i need um i'm you know i'm always almost too much making sure that i'm taking care of myself and so that's important uh, yeah that's a you know that's important yeah so and as others should you know what I mean? hey brother so I alluded to this maybe like five or ten minutes before. Uh, thank you very much, brother, for dropping in and just and just sharing some wisdom. I know it took us a while to get here, but everything happens in appointed time. Yeah, these appointed steps. So I want to thank you for being here. This is another episode of The Measurables with War Air, powered by Revolt, directed by my brother Cali Vision. Thank you for tuning in. We will see you next time. Peace. You start the fire My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. Select Quote. We shop, you save. 
Full details on example policies at selectquo.com slash commercials. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's.